Amen and amen. Thank you, guys. That was absolutely fantastic. Praise God. Praise His Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for worship, that we can, that we can offer you our, our praise and glory and honor and all of that through music this morning. It was just great. Um, before we get started, um, I want to uh, point out to you, if, if you're visiting with us for the first time, there's a, little, there's a little welcome card on the seat beside you or underneath you, maybe, that looks like this. If, you've, um, if, if you're here for the first time or have never filled one of these out before, would you do us a favor and, and just take a minute and, and jot your information down on that? I promise you nobody's gonna, going to spam you or junk mail you or come visiting you or telemarket you or any of that kind of, kind of stuff. We'd just like to have a record of your having been here, and we'd love to be able to call you by name when you come back again. So if you do that for us and then drop it in the, in the offering basket, um, later in the service when that comes around, that would be a wonderful thing. Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Are there any fathers in the group today? Um, Scott, would you do me a favor? Bring the house lights up and the, and the spots down if you can. I'd appreciate it. I'm sorry? Okay, thank you. God is a God of light in them. In him there is no darkness at all. If you're a father this morning, um, or if you want to be a father someday, would you stand up, please, so we can, so that we can recognize you and honor you, and thank you for all you do. Fathers are are oftentimes overworked and underappreciated, and this is a day in which uh, we want to honor all you, all you guys in a in a real. Um, in, a, in a real way. I want to read to you out of Proverbs um, chapter 17, verse 6. It says, Children's children are crowned to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Children's children, in other, grand, in other words, grandchildren, are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Now, how's that for a twist? How's that for a twist? What does that mean? It simply means this. Good parenting is an honorable thing. Good parenting is an honorable thing. The greatest crown that we can wear as parents is to become grandparents and see our children parenting their children in a way that we can be proud of because they've been parented well by us. And children can take great pride and want to take great pride in being able to say, I'm a great parent because I had great parents. For, for, for you fathers this morning who've been parenting your children in a, in, 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 a, in a righteous way, God bless you. Congratulations. We honor you this morning. You absolutely deserve it. And I want to pray for, over you guys. That's right, you can sit down, but I want to pray over you guys. And ladies, shall we let them listen in? Yeah, we'll let the ladies listen in. You can even pray along with us if you want to, but this is for the guys this morning. Fathers, grandfathers, wannabe fathers, join me in prayer. I want to ask the guys this morning, dear Lord, I, I, I want to ask... Are you man enough this morning to get serious with God? I mean, really man enough to get serious with God? 
If you are, then I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and pray to our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, I want to be a man of God. I want to be a man of God. I know I've made a lot of mistakes and there are a lot of things that are not right in my life. But in my heart, I want to be a man of God. I want to be a man of compassion. I want to put my family before my career and to have my relationships and my work in proper balance in my life. I want to be a man of character, to put character before conformity. Help me to be willing to stand up for what's right, always. I want to be a man of cooperation, to support my Christian brothers and sisters rather than to conflict with them. I want to be a man of commitment. I want to put the cause of Christ before my career, before my hobbies, or before anything else. I'm going to get more involved in my church. I am going to get more involved in my church. I'm going to start attending faithfully and not just when it's convenient for me. Heavenly Father, I want to be a man of courage. I want to put the cause of Christ even before my own security. Father, I want to thank you for these men. We all have a long way to go. None of us is perfect. We're not trying to pretend anything at all this morning. We've all made lots of mistakes, but what's, what counts is not where we've been, but where we're headed right now. Starting today, we want to be 100% committed to you. I know this will not be easy, and I know that as soon as we leave this building, the devil will attempt to sidetrack our efforts through problems and conflicts and frustrations and criticisms and all kinds of difficulties. I also know that the combined influence of these men cooperating for God's glory in his church could impact Denton County for Christ in a way that none of us could even imagine. God, give us a big vision. Help us to be godly soldiers, risking ourselves to be a part of your army. Teach us to be better friends. For those of us who are married, to be better husbands. And for those of us with children, better fathers. Teach us to treat our wives with love and respect and dignity. Teach us to maintain the right priorities in our schedules and to make time for you and for our families every day. A nation is never stronger than its churches, and its churches are never stronger than the families in them. Lord, help us to lead godly homes. Help us to be the spiritual leaders of our families that you've appointed us to be. For Jesus' sake and in his name we pray, amen. Once again, let's give a for the fathers in the room this morning. Okay, um, let's get right into the message. We're, hello. Let's get, is that God calling? Uh, let's get right into the message. We're probably going to run, I'm going to put you on notice right now. We're probably going to run just a wee bit long this morning because we've, we have a jam-packed Sunday morning for you, and, and, and let's get right into it. This morning we are going to be looking, we're, we're still in the, in, in the series that Todd started in the book of Acts. This morning we're in Acts chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. And there's a slide for 1 through 17. If you have your, uh, anybody have one of these? 
Anybody have one? If you have one of these, would you open it up this morning? This, by the way, is a, it's called a Bible. Um, they're, they're really a nice thing to have, especially at church. So if, if, if you have one of these, would you open it up? If not, the scripture's on the screen and we can, uh, we can read along there together. It goes something like this. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four guards of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a bright light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now, I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to, be, to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it, and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned them with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. We want to <clears throat> unwrap this, this, um, this scripture this morning. There's a whole lot packed, in, packed into this, and we could peel the onion for, for weeks just in, in this one scripture. But I want to unpack it a little, bit, a little bit this morning and look at some of the background on this so that we have a little bit better understanding of what this is all about. Um, this happened. I'm not leaving. I'm coming back. Okay, this happened in about A.D. 44, about uh, 11 years after, after um, Christ was crucified and resurrected, praise God. Um, and um, there had been great changes in, in, in Jerusalem. We studied in Acts 2, Acts chapter 2, how the Word of God had spread throughout Jerusalem uh, because of the, because of the uh, activities in the house churches that were taking place at that time. And, and if you remember in Acts chapter 2, it, um, it said 
the city of Jerusalem was filled with believers, was filled with believers, and believers were being added to the, to the, uh, to the faith every day. Some experts estimate that there may have been anywhere from 50 to 100,000, maybe even more, believers in the city of Jerusalem um, at this time. So the city of Jerusalem was filled with, filled with believers. You'll, no, you'll notice in here also that this occurred, that, um, that this story occurred during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. If you recall from our, from our Palm Sunday message, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a seven-day celebration that, that took place after the Passover, so it was an eight-day it was an eight-day celebration, and the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a magnet for, for Jewish pilgrims to come to the city of Jerusalem to observe Passover, and these were observant Jews. These were, were um, not Christian believers. They were observant Jews coming to um, Jerusalem for the Passover. So you had this, the city of Jerusalem was absolutely just packed with people including people who were in town for the, for the celebration of, of um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and you had, this, you had two groups. You had the Jewish, the observant Jews, and you had the Christian believers. The Christians at this point were not very popular with the Jews. They were considered to be a renegade sect of the Jewish religion, and they were, they were most un, unpopular. And in fact, um, persecution of the Christians had begun. So along comes uh, King Herod. Now, this is this. There's a whole line of King Herods, um, beginning with Herod the Great, who you'll recall was the was the Herod who who um, ordered the the murdering of all of the infant boys in Bethlehem. Uh, right after uh, right after Jesus' birth, uh, that was this this is this is King Herod Agrippa the first. That um, Herod the Great was his his grandfather. His his father was um, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas be, um, murdered John the Baptist, and then we have um, Herod Agrippa the first who just murdered, um, just had, had behead, beheaded James. So the, the whole Herod family, the, the, there was a whole group of Herod um, um, kings, and the whole Herod family were a pretty murderous lot. Herod Agrippa I uh, was very popular among the observant Jews for, for two reasons. One, because he, he um, um, was a half-Jew himself. His mother was an Edomite. And secondly, because he was a very political uh, ruler, the most political of all of the rulers at that time. He'd grown up in Rome. He'd run with the, run with the Roman rulers. He'd fallen out of favor, came back in favor with, with a, a, a tyrant named Caligula, if any of you remember Caligula. Caligula uh, made him king. And, um, and so he was, he, and he, he, he obtained that through, a lot of political activity. He was a very political animal. So he was popular among the Jews because of his, his, his political um, activities, and he was also popular because of his heritage, the fact that he was half, half Jewish. So um, 
um, this, this political motivation was a big deal for him. His, his kingdom had actually been expanded because of his, his political activities. So um, this was what was going on in Jerusalem at the time. He, King Herod, as we see in verse 2, had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. James and John, you remember, were, were, uh, were very vibrant leaders, the sons of thunder, they were called, uh, very vibrant leaders in the, in the Christian movement in, in the early days of the church. And James at that time was more or less the, 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 the leader of the movement. So Herod, in his political ways, decided that um, a way to gain the favor of all of these Jews who had come to Jerusalem for the, for the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was, you know, let's persecute the Christians while, while you're in town. Contribute to the party. So that he did. He had, he had James beheaded. He had him beheaded with a sword, which was a very, very significant because beheading with a sword at that time was considered uh, the most dishonorable way for a, for a person to die. So they had, he had him uh, beheaded with a sword. All this was occurring during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, this eight-day period between Passover and, and the end of the feast. Uh, after, at, so he, when, um, pardon me, when Herod uh, had James beheaded, dishonored him, he, um, he saw that the, that the Jews, the observant Jews, thought this was really cool. You know, we're you're, you're going after these renegade Jews that are running around calling themselves Christians, and this is a good thing. We like this. So he thought, ooh, I can politically advance myself a little more. Maybe I'll kill some more of these guys. So he grabs, he grabs Peter, who is the next in line after James for the, for the leadership of the, uh, in the leadership of the, of the Christian movement, and decides that he's going to do the same to him. So he puts him in prison. Peter was kept in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. Now here, I want you, if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to take a pen or a pencil or a marker or something, and I want you, I want you to make a mark in your, in your Bible that says, uh, uh, under this phrase, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Folks, that's the key, the, the, the key portion of the key verse in this, in, in this uh, chapter of Scripture. This is what we're going to talk about this morning. The night before Herod was to bring, uh, bring Peter to, tr to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Now, can you imagine this? Peter has been arrested. He saw James um, beheaded. He's been arrested. He's been put in prison. He's been told that when the, when the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread is, uh, celebration is over, that he's going to be put on public trial, and you knew what the outcome of that's going to be. We saw that with James. So let me ask you a question. If under those circumstances, you're chained between two guards. Would you be sleeping? Would you be sound asleep under those circumstances? And yet Peter was sound asleep. A couple of reasons. One, Peter was a sleepy head. If you remember at the Mount of Transfiguration, when all that was occurring, what was Peter doing? He was asleep. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
when Jesus was praying, what was Peter doing? He was asleep. Put him between two guards and chains, what's Peter doing? He's asleep. Peter was a sleepyhead. But that's not, that's not it. That's not the real reason why Peter was asleep. Peter was asleep because he trusted God. Peter was asleep because he knew that he was in God's hands. Peter was asleep because he knew that no matter what the outcome, that he was, in, that he was, that he was with God, that God would be with him. Peter trusted God. But here's the real key. If you flip it back in your Bible, and you don't have to do it right now, but if you flip back your Bible and look at John verse 21, 18, John 21, 18, Jesus promised Peter that he would live to be an old man. In John 21, 18, Jesus promised Peter that he would live to be an old man, that he would see an old age. So Peter had no worries. He believed Christ. He believed the Word of God. He believed what he had been told by the Prince of, by the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings. He would live to be an old man, so he could sleep. He could sleep well. He slept with chains on both wrists. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a bright light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side. Peter isn't easily awakened, apparently. And woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. People, God can make chains fall off. God can break chains. God can rescue anybody. I don't care what circumstances you're in. I don't care what, what troubles, trials, tribulations you face. I don't care what 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 obstacles have been placed before you i don't care what addiction you have i don't care what 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 shortcoming you're dealing with i don't care what handicap you've been given god can break chains god can rescue people and he does and we can rest in that we can sleep in that god breaks chains then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, uh, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was, was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was still asleep. He thought he was dreaming. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that, that Peter was, wasn't even aware of what, of what was happening to him at the time? I can tell you why. It's because God didn't want Peter to have any credit for what was going on. It was all God. Peter didn't lift a finger. Peter didn't do a thing. Peter slept through it. It was all God. It was not about Peter. It was about God. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. By the way, it, 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 have you realized that the Nothing's really happened to the guards. What's going on with them? What's going on with the guards? They didn't see the light. They didn't see the chains fall off. They didn't see Peter and, and the angel pass by them. The same thing happened to them that happened to the guards at the tomb. Not only as it was happening, but in the aftermath. 
They didn't see what was happening because they weren't with God. They weren't with God. They couldn't even see the miracles of God that were occurring right in front of their faces, right, right, right as, as they were standing guard. They didn't even see what was going on. They didn't realize that God was doing a miracle right before them. They didn't even recognize that they had lost their prisoner. They were so out of touch with God. Can you imagine? Folks, there's an entire community out here. We're surrounded by people who are that out of touch with God. We're surrounded by people who don't recognize what God is doing around them day in and day out. That's why we're here. We're here to share the good news of Christ and all that God means for, for, for them to those people who are that out of touch. You have your neighbors, your co-workers, your, your relatives. We're surrounded by people who are that out of touch with God that they can't even see. And, and even if they did see a miracle of God, they would deny it. That's what we're here for. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. This is a gate, this can kind of be confused. This is the gate leading from the prison into the city. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. He had nothing to do with it. It was all God. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. This is Mark who wrote the, 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 uh, the, the, the second gospel. And um, Mark and his mother Mary were apparently from a, from a wealthy uh, Jewish family that had some Roman connections because the, the, the dwelling that's described here uh, and the proximity to the palace where the jail would have been would indicate that, that they were, that they were uh, wealthy people. Uh, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the, Peter's at the door. Now get this picture. There have been people who've been praying since James was arrested, who've been praying as a group in corporate prayer for for. Um, Peter's deliverance, they've been praying for days, okay? The, 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 the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was considered a Sabbath period, and so it's highly likely that Herod didn't arrest Peter during the, the Sabbath, and he wasn't going to execute him until after the Sabbath, so these people have been praying for at least six or seven days, okay? And suddenly Peter shows up at the door, and, and she, she doesn't open the door. She goes back into the prayer meeting. I've heard people say, now, I'm just saying, I've heard people say that Rhoda was the first blonde in the Bible. No, I don't know. I don't mean any offense by that. I, I've just heard that. I didn't say that. I've heard that said. That Rhoda is the first blonde in the Bible. 
When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned them with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. You received an outline with you this morning. Let's quickly go through this outline, and I want to talk to you about corporate prayer. This, this um, passage of Scripture is all about corporate prayer. It's about the power of corporate prayer. And I want to talk to you about four features of corporate prayer that we can, that we can uh, uh, receive from this, from this passage this morning. First, I want to talk about the people. There are four features of prayer. The first one is the people. The people who prayed, the praying people in this group, the, the, the people in this, uh, in this scripture. They shared three features. First, unity. Unity. The first fill-in on your outline there is unity. They prayed corporately. They prayed corporately. If you look at, at um, um, verse 12 in Acts 12 here, you'll see, when, they, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. The people in this group recognized the power of, of unity, of corporate prayer, of the, 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 the power of coming together as a group to pray for Peter's deliverance. Where two or three are gathered together, what? There I am also. There's, there's great power in corporate prayer. When two or three come together in unity, Folks, the, one of the most important things for, the, for our church, for any church, for the church at large, one of the most important things for us to share together is unity. It's unity. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that everybody has to, ha, has to, to, to agree on everything. But what it does mean is we must be united as one body, we must come together as one body and, and present our, 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 our petitions before God. If we do that, if we come together as one body, there's great power in that, much more power than any of us individually might have, okay? One snowflake can't do a whole lot of damage, but you put a bunch of them together, they can stop traffic. The same thing is true in the church. One of us praying individually, do we have power? Of course we do. If we come together in unity and agreement and, and, and present our petitions to God, there is great power in that. People, it's not enough for us to pray as individuals. It's, it, 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 it is absolutely essential that we come together as a church, that we come together in groups and pray together corporately because of the great power that, that comes with that. Acts 2.44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Remember Acts 2, uh, we, uh, back uh, when Todd spoke on Acts 2, chapters 42 to 47, 
one of the it was a it was the most powerful the most dynamic period in the history of the church is during that that first century when all of this what the, what we call the acts 2 activity was taking place the first century church activities and 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 a key hallmark of that activity was unity togetherness they were doing these things together it's imperative that we come together as a church to pray and to present our petitions to God. The second feature of praying people is unanimity. Unani unanimity. In verses 2 and 3 here, said he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this had pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The, the, the people who were praying in this in, in, in this house, in Mary's house, who'd come together to pray corporately, they had unanimity, complete unanimity on what it was that they were praying about. They had seen James murdered. They knew that Peter was in prison. They were praying for one thing. They were, in, in, they were unanimous in the need, and the need was for Peter's rescue. They were unanimous in their prayer. They were united, they were unanimous, and thirdly, they prayed with urgency. They prayed with urgency. There was one down, <laughs> James was down already, and there's another, another one coming up, and they had, they had a very short time. They knew at the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that, the, that Peter faced the same, the, the same end. So they, there was a sense of urgency to their prayer. When they got together, they prayed with great urgency. The second thing I want to look at are the prayers themselves, the people's prayers themselves. In verse 5, it says that the prayers were earnestly offered. That's their fill in there. The prayers were earnestly offered. The word here that's rendered earnestly literally means stretched out means stretched out. It means to be prostate in a prone position, pressed out, stretched out. Have you ever prayed like that? You know, I've got to admit that, I've, that I haven't done much of that. Have you ever prayed like that? Have, have you ever prayed with such earnestness, with such passion that you actually spread out on the ground, face down on the ground, and, and, and sought God? Have you ever been there? Have you ever prayed that hard with that much earnestness? You know who did that? Jesus did that. Jesus did that. When the apostles found Peter or found Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, sweating blood, he was stretched out. The same word is used here that was used about. Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Great earnestness. Nothing casual about it. This was with great earnestness they, that they were praying. Have you ever prayed that way? The second feature of pe the people's prayer was that it was especially directed. Again, in verse 5, it said, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. 
once again, they were, they were, uh, the, the prayers were especially directed. They were specific about what they were asking of God. Do you, do you wonder sometimes why God doesn't seem to answer your prayer? Maybe because you're not making it clear what you're praying for. Maybe because you're not being specific enough. You know, the more specific, the more... You saw me look at my watch. You know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. The more specific we are about what we pray, the, 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 the more specificity there is in our prayer, the more powerful the prayer, the more able God is to, to, to grant the prayer um, that we're asking for. If, we don't, if we're not specific about what we pray, God says, they must not care very much if they don't even, don't even want to tell me exactly what it is that they're asking for. Sometimes, sometimes he's just waiting for us to get specific. He knows what we need. He wants us to know what we need. How are we going to know that the prayer has been answered if we don't even know specifically what we're asking for? Especially directed, specific prayers is what they were praying. The third fill-in here is that their people's prayers were expectantly prayed. They were expectantly prayed. They didn't pray the prayer without the expectation that God was going to act upon their prayer. Do we do that? When you pray a prayer, do you just send, a, send up a request through the ceiling and hope that something comes back? Or do you send, send a prayer to God expectantly, expecting an, an answer to the prayer, anticipating God's answer to your specific prayer? I'm reminded of a story um, many years ago in the deep south there was a... Um, a, a terrible, terrible drought taking place, and the people hadn't seen rain for for months and months and months. And it was a little rural uh, church, African American church, and and they decided to hold a special prayer meeting one Tuesday evening to pray for rain. And it was just a tiny church, 25 people or so. And it came time for the prayer meeting and everyone gathered at the church except Mrs. Johnson. Mrs. Johnson was missing because they, they became concerned, where is Mrs. Johnson? And the, someone went to the front door of the church and looked down the street and here came Mrs. Johnson walking up the street, walking up the sidewalk with a, a raincoat, galoshes, and, um, and an umbrella. Mrs. Johnson was coming to church to pray expectantly. She was expecting an answer to her prayer. Do we, when we send up our prayers, do we have on our raincoat and our galoshes, do we expect God to answer the prayers that, he, that we're sending up to him? The fourth thing here is the people's prayers were, were repeated in, endlessly, endlessly repeated prayers. Look at verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. It should say, and were still praying. They had, begun, they had gathered and begun praying for James, and, they had, and now they're praying all the way through the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is a period of at least eight days for, for Peter's rescue. They had been praying endlessly, repeatedly, 
over and over earnestly endlessly repeated prayers the third thing I want to look at this morning is the, is the purpose of the prayer and the, the first fill in here is they prayed because they were obedient to God's decrees Luke chapter 19 verse 46 says it is written he said to them my house will be a house of my house will be a house of prayer my house will be a house of prayer God's house will be a house of prayer this house will be a house of prayer this church will be a church of prayer it's the, it's a, it's decreed by God it's commanded by God it's not optional my house this house my church this church will be a house of prayer secondly seek God's will why do they do this why do they pray corporately to obey God's command to seek God's will. Look at um, in, in Jeremiah verse 29, or excuse me, chapter 29, verse 12 and 13. Where most of us, many of us are familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11. We kind of, we kind of stopped there. I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord, plans not to harm you, but to help you, plans to promise you, to, to, to prosper you, to give you hope in a future. Verses 12 and 13 go on to say, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. Do you want to know God's will? I hear people say all the time, you know, I, wish God, I just wish I knew what God's will was in this situation. If God would just reveal his will to me in this situation, you know, it would, it would be so much easier. Well, have you called upon him? Have you prayed about it? Have you sought him? Have you sought him with all your heart? Have you earnestly prayed and, and, and sought him with all your heart? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Simply saying, I sure wish God would reveal his will to me so that I'd know what to do in this situation, is hardly seeking him with all my heart. And the third thing about the, the purpose of prayer is to su submit to God's sovereignty. To su submit to God's sovereignty. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. We can, we, 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 can we can make our plans, but God's plans will prevail. They will always prevail. So we need, when, when we pray, when we pray together corporately, we are obeying God's decrees, we are seeking God's will, and we are submitting to God's sovereignty. We should be praying 
God, not will, but thine be done. We should, we, we should be praying, God, we're not, we're not here to ask you to bless what we're doing. We're asking you to show us what you'll be blessing. Seek, submit to God's will. Number four, power of corporate prayer. What, it, what, is the re, what is the power of corporate prayer? What's the big deal with corporate prayer? What happened here? Three things. There, number one, because of the power of the corporate prayers, there was a response from heaven. There was a response from heaven. There was an immediate response from heaven. Was that unusual? Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder why God didn't answer my prayer? Anybody, anybody ever thought that? You don't have to raise your hand. I don't know. We've all thought that. Well, God has answered prayer. He always answers prayer. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. The question is, is he answering the, the, the prayer that you prayed? Is he, asking, is he answering the prayer that, that you asked for? Every answer isn't always yes. That's part of God's sovereignty. Sometimes God has another plan, and it's usually, no, it's always better. But there's always a response, always a response to our prayers. In this case, an angel appeared, chains were, chains were loosed, guards were, were overcome, and gates were opened by themselves. Pretty big response, wouldn't you think? What do you think the people were praying? Do you think that they were praying for any of these things? Of course they weren't. They were praying that somehow Herod would change his mind, somehow the, 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 when he was put on trial that he would be found not guilty, somehow, some way, something, he would, not, he, he, he would wind up, he would receive a life sentence instead of beheading, something. Do you think any of them prayed for the chains to be loosed, for an angel to appear, for guards to be made impotent and, and, and gates to open by themselves? No, they didn't pray that. God had a better plan. He had a better answer of the prayer even than, than they could imagine. But we always, always get a response from heaven. Number two, they were rewarded for their faith. They were rewarded for their faith. If we have faith in God, God will, can and will do miraculous things. He breaks chains. He looses us from, from our, our, our captors. He opens doors. He releases the prisoners. We all have chains that bind us. He, re, he can release our chains. We're pr all prisoners to something. He can release us from our prisons. It's a reward for our faith. Third, power of corporate prayer, the reaction of the believers. The reaction of the believers here. What is the reaction of the uh, believers? Did they, did, did, did they celebrate expectantly their prayer? No, they missed that, didn't they? We need to be attuned to the response from heaven and the re reward for our faith. These people missed it. There's another story that I want to tell you. It's about a, a small town in middle America about uh, 30 or 40 years ago that had been a dry, it had been a dry town for forever. 
and and uh, the the um, law was changed and it became uh, liquor became available in in a town. As soon as the law was changed, somebody built a bar. The bar was full all the time. The local believers began to pray about this about this sinful bar in their town. And and lo and behold, one night the bar caught on fire, burn, absolutely burned to the ground. The owners of the bar decided that the fault for the fire must have been these believers who were praying for the destruction of the, of the bar. So he took them to court. He sued the, he sued the church for praying for being responsible for the destruction of his bar. What do you think the judge did? The judge said this, I don't know who's responsible for the, for the burning down of the barn, but he said, it occurs to me, and of, of course the, the church denied responsibility for the, for the burning of the barn. He said, but it occurs to me that we have a church who does not have confidence in the power of prayer and a bar owner who does. The church did not have confidence in the power of prayer, and the bar owner did. The people did not have the confidence in the power of their prayer, but God responded anyway. He responded, he, 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 he reacted in such a way that even in spite of their of their lack of expectancy of, of, to answer the prayer, he still answered the prayer in a powerful way. So, the power of corporate prayer, the, of praying people, the purpose of prayer, what should be our response to corporate prayer? What is our response as a church to this, script, this passage of Scripture? What should we do? What should we as a church do about this passage of scripture should we go away this morning with our with our little outlines and go, oh, well, okay all right well, that's wrong what should we do about this we should pray we must pray we must pray we must pray as a church we must pray corporately we must pray in in unity and unanimity and in urgency we must pray earnestly. We must pray especially. We must pray expectantly and endlessly. We must pray. Do we want a church? Uh, do we want a church with power? Do we want a powerful church? We do, do we want a church with a power to change lives and to, 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 to rescue and heal? Do we want that kind of church? Do we want a powerful church in our community? We must pray. We must pray together corporately as a church, as a church body. Do we want... Do we want a church with progress? Do we want to grow and expand and to, and, 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 and to, to, to reach beyond the corner and around the world? Do we want to, 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 to see the kingdom expanded because of what this church is doing? We must pray. We must pray as a, as a church. We must pray corporately. Do we want a church with, with provision? Do we want funding and facilities? And, and do, we, do we want our leaders to be protected? P people, let me tell you right now, if, if, if the enemy wants to destroy this church, he's going to start with Todd Hamilton. 
If he wants to destroy this church, he's going to follow that with the, with, with, with the lay leaders of the church. We need to pray corporately for our pastor and his family and our church leaders. We need to pray as a church. Do we want a church with provision? Do we want a church with, do we want the funding and the facilities and, uh, that we need? And do we want a church with protection? Do we want a church that, that has protection for its pastor and its leaders? We must pray and we must pray corporately. We must come together as a church and agree to pray for all of these things. So how do we do it? See 1A through D and 2A through C above. It's all right there. That's how the first century church did it. That's how they did it. And they expanded the church at the rapidest rate in the history of the church. That's how they did it. And they saw chains fall off and gates open and guards made, made impotent. That's how they did it. And that's how we should do it too. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your, for your wonderful word. Lord, there, there is so much for us to learn from, from your holy word. Lord, thank you that we can come together as a church family, as a church body, as a body of believers, and, 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 and you will hear our prayer, you will answer our prayer, you will, you, you, you will respond and react in, in miraculous ways to the simple prayers of earnest people. Lord, thank you for this church body. Thank you for every one of these people. Thank you for their commitment. Thank you for their, for, for, for their love for one another. Thank you for the fellowship that you've, that, you've, that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the faith that you've instilled in, in, uh, in our body of believers this morning. I pray to you, Lord, if there's anybody in this room this morning who doesn't know you on a personal, intimate, faithful basis, that they will take the step this morning to pray to you and say, Lord, I need you in my life. I don't understand it all. I don't... I, I, I don't get all of this, but I know this. I can't do it on my own. I need the power of God in my life. And so this morning, Lord, I want to turn away from all of the, from all of the, the, the things, the mistakes that I've made. Lord, I want to stop trying to be, be the God of my own existence. Lord, I want to turn to you and I want to follow you. And I want to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he, what he did for me on the cross. Once again, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I need you. I want you in my life. If you prayed that prayer this morning, this is the most important day in your life. You have crossed the line into the family of God, and we want to welcome you this morning as a, as a child of God, as a member of the family of God, and into our, into our fellowship. Lord, we... We thank you for, for, uh, for those decisions this morning. Father, bless us as, as uh, we go out this morning. And once again, Lord, uh, we ask that you bless every father in the room this morning with a very special day. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.